Hello and welcome to Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located in Fremont, California. It is our prayer that today's broadcast will be a blessing to you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. And your mercies are new every morning. We gather at this moment to reflect and interact with your word. And we pray that you would use this moment to accomplish what you want to accomplish today. And that the longing of every heart to hear your voice will hear it today as you speak to us. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, obviously, the Pastor Murphy's not here, or I wouldn't be standing here. He is on a special journey in our denomination, which is a really wonderful thing. It it takes people on something called Sankofa, which is to expose the variety of cultures to other cultures. And uh, they'll go down to Atlanta and uh, they'll go to some other places They'll be exposed to Hispanic community, Asian community, African-American community. It's a wonderful experience uh, that uh, he will be involved in. So today I want to talk to you about what I call three prayers, three prayers of thanksgiving. Three prayers of thanksgiving. Three prayers that all thank God. But all three are radically different in their motivation. Three prayers, radically different in their motivation. The first prayer I I call the, uh, the religious prayer, the religious prayer of thanks. And it comes from Luke chapter 18. Verses 10 through 12. Does somebody have a Bible? Anybody in the place have a Bible? (laughs) Do any of you who have a Bible, can you read? Can anybody that has a Bible, can you read? Nobody in this place can read? (laughs) Well, one of you who can read that has the Bible, would you read verses 10 through 12? Extortioners, 
unjust, adulterous, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Thank you. You can read. <laughs> Thank you. Here we have a man identified as a Pharisee. The writers of the New Testament assume, they assume that whoever is reading their writing already knows about the Pharisees. And so the character and tenets of what a Pharisee is, is not included in the text. They were men who followed the Jewish religious laws and customs in a very stringent way. They felt that the best way that they could serve God would be to strictly obey the laws as they were written in the Old Testament. They would take those laws of the Old Testament and they would add their own rules to them. And those rules became traditions. And the traditions became teachings. And so the Pharisees would go about the community teaching, observing traditions and laws. If you are a little bit familiar with the New Testament, you know that a large part of Jesus' arguments were with the Pharisees. Jesus places our character from today's text in the temple. And he places them there at the temple at prayer time. And I love the way in which Jesus stages the environment. Because the way he stages the environment helps to communicate his point. Our Pharisee is not only in the temple. He's not only there to pray, but he's not alone. He has a fellow worshiper who is the opposite of who he is there to pray with him. Which, by the way, is not an uncommon practice of God. God often places us with people who are the opposite than we are. He delights in placing us with people who are the opposite of who we are. The Pharisee stands close to the altar. His prayer partner stands a distance from the altar. His prayer partner looks down when he prays, which suggests that our Pharisee was looking up when he verbalized his prayer of thanks. His prayer of thanks went like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. When this prayer begins, it sounds like a thanksgiving psalm in which God will be praised for something that he has done. 
But the prayer, the prayer is quickly perverted. The occasion of thanksgiving is what the Pharisee has done for God. His real prayer is, God, I thank you that I am so marvelous. <laughs> Rightfully, he has legitimacy in thanking God that he doesn't have gross iniquities like the other people of the world. But our brother has some grossly mistaken assumptions. His delusion was real. He was deluded about prayer and he was deluded about himself. How can a prayer of thanksgiving be offered to God when the attitude behind the prayer is so distorted? Our brother considered himself morally and religiously superior than others. He despised those whose spiritual caliber was perceived to be less than his own. He praised himself and condemned his neighbor. He was exalted in his own religious practices. I fast, I pray, I give. He trusted in his own good deeds to make him acceptable to God. He acted as if God owed him something for his goodness. He failed to see his sin. Therefore, he never really asked God to meet his need. He measured himself rather to others than to God. He built his self-worth on his moral failings or the moral failings of others. And he lacked a humble, contrite, and repented heart. And his prayer of thanksgiving meant nothing. Jesus tells us in the end, the Pharisees' prayer of thanksgiving didn't count. No matter how much thanksgiving is verbalized in prayer, if it does not come from a humble, grateful heart, it counts for naught. There's a story in South America. They say that the llama is a cultural metaphor for arrogance. And to keep a herd of llamas corralled, you don't even need a fence. All you need is one single rope circling around the herd. And that one single rope will keep them enclosed. All you have to do is place the rope beneath the head and at the base of the neck. Llamas are so secure in this makeshift pen simply because they're too proud to bend. If they would bend, they could be free, but their arrogance keeps them standing tall. And while they stand tall, they remain captives rather than free llamas. Saying a prayer that says thank you is worthless without a heart of humility to support it. 
Thank you is a powerful expression of praise when it is uttered for the right thing and from the right attitude. It is powerful toward God. Amen. The second prayer of thanksgiving is found in Luke chapter 17 and verse 16. Is there anybody who could read? Who will stand and read that verse? Anytime today, it'll be fine. No, you got the wrong one. No, I said 17, verse 16. I did that once. I know how that feels. I got you. Good. Now, this is the second prayer. Of Thanksgiving. This is a story that only Luke, out of all the Gospels, tell. Matthew and Mark and John do not have this story. Ten men are waiting for Jesus with their leprosy. Ten men bound with common misery formed into a unity that cuts across racial and social practices of the day. Isn't it interesting that people with problems, common problems, can get beyond social, racial, and cultural differences? Drug addicts don't care what you are. Alcoholics don't care what you are. They drink and pump their drugs. It doesn't matter what race you are, what culture you are. These 10 men had found that same kind of relationship. 10 men shunned by society, not only because of the fear that the disease was contagious, but shunned because contact with them rendered them as an Israelite unclean, according to the book of Leviticus. 10 men with a stigma, that required them to tear their clothes, shave their heads, put a covering on their upper lips, and yell to anyone who would come near, unclean, unclean. No doubt these men had heard about Jesus. And as he passed by, they cried out in concert, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. If only our Pharisee brother in the last story had prayed that prayer, his outcome would have been radically different than it was. A prayer for mercy is an appropriate prayer for all of us. For all of us have something that needs to be fixed. The prayer of mercy got the attention of Jesus. The prayer of mercy still gets the attention 
of Jesus. Jesus tells the ten men to go show themselves to the priests. Because only the priests could declare them cured. And on their way, a great miracle takes place. Each one of the ten men are healed of their disease. A miracle is a fascinating thing to experience. And they happen all around us. But we're so busy, we miss them. God is always doing something that violates normality. But somehow we don't see it because we're so wrapped up in other things. Just the miracle alone of our body, for example. What an incredible machine our bodies are. Cells functioning, connections taking place, parts talking to other parts, all parts moving and causing this human body to be able to do all the things that it does. It's a miracle. If anyone doesn't believe in God, all they have to do is take a real good look at the human body. Amen. Think of what it must have meant or what it must have felt like for these 10 men to begin to see health returning to their bodies. Think of the joy that they must have been feeling, how overwhelmed they must have been, how, how excited they must have been to see the miracle changing right before their eyes. They got so carried away with the gift, they forgot where it came from. They took the gift, forgot the giver. Sound familiar? But there was one who remembered, the text says. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God. The scripture says, came back praising God in a loud voice and threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked. Instead of going to the priest, the Samaritan became a priest and built an altar at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. Why is it so hard for us to value and appreciate the blessings that God pours into our lives every day? I wonder if maybe it is because success and meaning are being defined by the wrong people in the wrong place around the wrong things. I wonder why why life's real blessings are not valued and appreciated the way they should be. Like our families. Like our friends. Like God. Do you have any idea how difficult it is to live with you? <laughs> and yet we, we underappreciate the friends 
that God puts into our lives. You know, I, I've been in the ministry a long time, and I've buried a lot of people. But I've never heard a person when they were dying say to me, Pastor, would you please go get my car? Never. Pastor, would you go check on my house? That's not what they say. They say, would you call my father? Could you reach my daughter? Could you get in touch with my son? You see, in times of death, we realize what's important. And why is it that we are so willing to underappreciate these real blessings that God pours into our lives? Back in the day when the church sung hymns, One very popular hymn was called, Now Thank We All Our God. The words went like this. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices. Who wondrous things has done in whom this world rejoices. Who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love. And still is ours today. I single out that hymn and the words of the hymn because it takes on new meaning when we understand when it was written and why. The lyrics of this song is powerful because they were written by a German pastor whose name was Martin Rinkart, who happened to be the pastor who served in a walled town of Ellensburg doing the horrors of the Thirty Years' War. That little town became overcrowded with refugees from surrounding areas. People who were suffering from the epidemic and from famine. They poured into that town in 1637 during the time of the Great Pestilence. There were four ministers in that town. One of those ministers got out as soon as the people poured in. The others were, the other two were funeralized by Pastor Ranghart. As the only pastor left in that city, he conducted services for as many as 40 and 50 people a day. 4,480 in all were the funerals that this one man conducted. In May of that same year, his wife died. By the end of the year, the refugees had to be buried in trenches without funeral services because there were so many. In spite of this war and plague and sorrow, this pastor was able to give thanks to the Lord from a grateful heart. It's in that context that he wrote, now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices. 
who wondrous things has done, in whom this world rejoices. Who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love, still is ours today. You see, the grateful heart says thank you for what it knows it does not deserve. The grateful heart says thank you for what it knows it could not do for itself. The grateful heart says thank you for what it knows it receives and cannot repay. Truth is, God stands in need of nothing. We have nothing to give him that is not already his. So what we can give him is our thanks. In the fall of 2000, former megachurch pastor Ed Dobson was diagnosed, diagnosed with ALS, the Lou Gehrig's disease. It's a degenerative disease with no known cause or cure. In 2012, he shared his ongoing struggle with this disease and the struggle to give thanks while trying to live with this incurable condition. He told his folks, there are many things for which I am not grateful. I can no longer button the buttons on my shirt. I can no longer put on a heavy jacket. I can no longer eat with my right hand. I can no longer raise my right hand above my head. Even learning to eat with my left hand is becoming an increasing challenge for me. Over time, all of these challenges are only going to get worse, he says. So what in the world do I have to be grateful for? And then he said, so much. Lord, he said, thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you that I can turn over in my bed. Thank you that I can still get out of bed. Thank you that I can walk to the bathroom. Thank you that I can still brush my teeth. Thank you that I can still eat breakfast. Thank you that I can still dress myself. Lord, thank you I can still drive my car. Thank you I can still walk. Thank you that I can still talk. And the list went on and on and on. He said, I've learned in my journey with this disease to focus on what I can do, not on what I can't do. The Samaritan threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. The third prayer is in John chapter 11, verse 41. You want to try that one, brother? (laughs) Chapter 11, verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Third prayer of thanksgiving comes from the lips of Jesus. 
This is a story of a family in mourning. Death has come and snatched the brother of two sisters. This was a family that has been friends and supporters of Jesus and his ministry. The death was not sudden. For while the brother was ill, word had been sent to Jesus to come quickly in hopes that Jesus would come and heal him. How many of us know that Jesus don't always do what we want him to do? (laughs) Jesus didn't get there at the time the family thought he should. And the brother died. And was buried. By the time Jesus arrives, the brother has been buried for four days. The family is distraught, discouraged, disappointed, because to them, Jesus had missed the window of opportunity, and there was nothing left for him to do. But Jesus had other plans. I said, Jesus had other plans. Aren't you glad he has other plans? When he doesn't do what you want him to do when he wants him to do it, it's because he's got other plans. He said, where have you laid him? And they took him to the grave site or the the, grave. the cave that had now been sealed by a stone. Move the stone, he said. And the sister Martha is disturbed by this request. And she responds to Jesus. He's been dead for four days. You could almost hear disgust. You want to move the stone now? He's been dead for four days. Do you know what he smells like now after four days? But Jesus hadn't come to view the body. He'd come to raise the body. And when they moved the stone, he prayed a prayer of thanksgiving. Then Jesus stood up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Such an interesting response, a very interesting prayer. Because to me, was Jesus simply expressing thanks for the assurance of being heard? I think it's more there than that. I think that this was an expression of thanks for the oneness of the father and son relationship. Jesus had an intimate and continuous relationship with God, a father and son relationship. He knew God as his father. God knew him as his son. Whatever Jesus did was the expression of, of the unity of the Godhead. 
This glimpse into the kingdom of God about to be manifested by violating the laws of nature was not an isolated act by Jesus alone. It was the Godhead saying yes to this miraculous display of power. Jesus giving us a picture of what the relationship between the Father and Son looked like. Do you know God's most important will and desire for you is that you and he might have a meaningful relationship with one another. You know, when you said yes to Jesus and invited him into your life, that initiated a relationship that is far more than a fire escape from hell. And it's far more than a frontline seat in heaven. I feel sorry for people who find God on their deathbed. I'm glad they found him before they left this world. But they have missed out on what a relationship with God means in this earthly pilgrimage that we're on. If the only time you find God is when you're about to check out, you've missed years and years and years of what that relationship could mean to your life. Amen. A relationship with God means that you and God do life together. It means that when you are feeling weak, he gives you his strength. When you are in trouble, he finds you a way out. When you are sick, he heals or sustains you. When you are lonely, he befriends you. When you are hopeless, he gives you hope. When you're tired, he refreshes you. When you're down, he lifts you up. When you don't know what to do, he gives you wisdom. When you fall, he helps you get up. When you sin, he forgives you. And when it comes time to die, he wraps you up in his arms and delivers you to the Father's throne. Hallelujah. For a relationship like that, thank you is insufficient. But thank you is all we have. Father, I thank you. I wonder, do you thank God for the relationship? I know we we thank God for a new day. This morning we were thanking him for the rain. We thank him for safe traveling mercies. We thank him because we have food to eat and clothes on our back and all that other good stuff. But do you thank him just because you have a relationship? If you do, That relationship will take off to new heights because that's God's deepest desire for you.
Father, I thank you. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church, located at 47385 Warm Springs Boulevard, Fremont, California. We can be found on the web at www.sobcc.org. We'd like to take a moment to invite you to come and join us in person for one of our dynamic Sunday morning worship services. Services begin at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. each Sunday, and we would be so blessed to have you come worship with us. We'd also love to hear from you a word about how this ministry is helping you renew your mind for the glory of Jesus Christ. So please contact us, and we pray God's blessings over you the rest of this day. God bless.